lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve and Dace greetings. Show. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. He's Todd Erzin and he is Aaron McIntyre. And of course... You are you. And on today's program, we have, uh, we're going to do something a little different. Uh, We're not going to have your typical Thursday regimen that you are accustomed to here on the show. We will be joined by Julie Kelly of American Greatness. We'll get the latest on what's going on with the January 6th political prisoners, as well as uh, yet another round of Whitmer trials in her alleged (coughs) kidnapping or something. Uh, We will get into that with uh, Julie Kelly here in the final segment of the show. But uh, we are going to spend the bulk of the program today talking about what we announced on the program yesterday. And thanks to all of you, and certainly with uh, uh, some rocket fuel by my man Glenn Beck, uh, the rise of the Fourth Reich, rise of the Fourth Reich is now the number one political book in the country right now. It is the number one political book in the country right now, and it doesn't come out for six months. Confronting COVID fascism with a new Nuremberg trial, so this never happens again. And we got some rocket fuel from Glenn Beck. I had a great time uh, talking uh, to the Sidebar podcast last night. I Frankly, I got a ton of reaction to that and a ton of you both uh, watch and listen to this uh, podcast and also there so there's a lot of crossover audience there uh daniel is doing i think uh, charlie kirk's show later today uh i think he's doing bongino tomorrow uh i think he's actually doing bandage show tomorrow uh but 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 we're the number one political book in the country other than the rocket fuel we got from glenn we're, we weren't Tim, how did South Carolina manage to elect another senator who could not find a wife in his 40s or 50s? Scott. It's amazing. It's amazing. A wholesome red state like South Carolina elects not one, but two men who in this era, I guess feminism has just taught women not to be ambitious anymore. Todd, your thoughts? Don't share them. Um, you know, we didn't get to the rocket fuel, uh, you know, the, the car. We, we didn't get on CBS News this morning like Tim Scott did. We have not done the car wash of programs all throughout Fox News. This has largely been done organically by you. And Aaron put up the graphic there a minute ago. You can go read the introduction, or we are calling an opening argument, because the book is framed as a mock Nuremberg trial. But we assure you, the witnesses you'll hear from and the data we will share is all very real. You can download it right now for free at trialsandexecution.com trialsandexecution.com because that's what they did at Nuremberg. They put people on trial and then when they were guilty, they executed them for crimes against humanity. And yes, that is what we are calling for. On today's show, I am actually going to read for you our opening argument. I know a lot of you prefer audio products um, and with the time and everything else element, you prefer, hey, can I listen to something while I'm in the car or I'm working out or on a walk or what have you? Um, I, I've got a lot more time where I can put those things together rather than sitting down to read. On today's show, I've made the decision I'm going to share with you. I'm going to read for you the opening argument on the that we make in the book. And then we will discuss that uh, here as a team on the show. Rise of the Fourth Reich is not an exaggerated title at all. It is a sadly prescient and prophetic one. Right now in New Zealand, which has one of the highest jab rates in the world, one of the highest booster rates in the world, almost half of all those over the age of 65 have been double boosted in New Zealand. It is shattering records right now for COVID deaths in the midst of their winter seasonality since they're in the Southern Hemisphere. A woman on my Facebook page today said, Steve, we love you, but when are you going to get over this obsession with COVID? I responded, I love you, but when are you going to get over with not grasping what is truly happening here? Pick an issue that you view as systemically a problem in America, the border. How did the people that are currently allowing the border to become an opioid trading post and wide open for human traffickers and near-to-wells, how did they get power to do that? Well, they used 
the lockdowns that produced the ballot harvesting schemes to steal an election so they could impose policies like that. What granted them the means by which to create that ballot harvesting scheme? COVID. Well, Steve, what about election integrity? Uh, What created the stealing of an election? What created the ballot harvesting schemes? COVID. There isn't an issue that you can hand me right now. Inflation, everything. Every systemic issue we currently face right now as a people has as its true origins March 16th of 2020. There was this country and the things we argued and fought about the day before, and there is the country and what has happened to it ever since. So no, we're not obsessed. We're determined to end this, to stop this, to make sure it never happens again. And that's why in a few minutes, I'm going to begin sharing with you the opening argument from the book. So gentlemen, let us begin. Uh, This is the opening argument to the book, Rise of the Fourth Reich, Confronting COVID Fascism with a New Nuremberg Trial, so this never happens again. And it is the opening statement that we give to you, the jury. You are the jury in this trial. It is an insurmountable task to fully quantify the depth and breadth of the damage COVID fascism has inflicted upon the entire human race. Between the lockdowns, criminalization of human breathing without a Chinese face diaper, denial of life-saving treatments, and distributing and then mandating what turned out to be shockingly dangerous shots, the physical, social, mental, and economic destruction is too vast to measure. It is quite possible modern existence will not fully recover from this tyrannical episode in our lifetimes, if at all, given the unfortunate precedents set. However, it would constitute an equal crime against humanity to allow these stories to go untold and thus allow these atrocities to go unanswered without fundamental legal and political changes to ensure they never happen again, including, but not limited to, investigations and then tribunals to hold accountable those most guilty of originating this crime against humanity, along with an immediate plan to erect an impervious legal firewall around those human rights that were breached. We must not forget what they did to us in the name of so-called science. We must not join the clamoring to, quote, move on and to, quote, return to normal when the new normal the perpetrators desire is anything but... Nor should we offer reconciliation with those guilty of this long train of abuses without them first recognizing their crimes and then repenting publicly for them. We must also never forget that the Holocaust was perpetrated not in some primitive corner of the world in medieval times, but in Western Europe in the 20th century. Clearly, the firewalls have never again placed as an obstruction to future medical tyranny during the Nuremberg trials and embodied throughout the Nuremberg Code have been breached and deracinated from their, from their foundation. It is the calling of our generation, therefore, to reconstruct, fortify, and eternalize those legal and political firewalls as they relate to science, medicine, and control over human beings. Because if we don't, the next time that could never happen here happens here, it will be even worse. The justification for a renewed version of the Nuremberg Code in the wake of the COVID fascism democide in many respects is more vital than it was even in the wake of the Third Reich. Today we face a Fourth Reich, which is potentially much more dangerous and inescapable than the Third Reich and therefore needs even greater firewalls to prevent its proliferation. First, as strong as Hitler's regime was during the 1930s, it was just one country. At some point, the natural jealousy, competitiveness, and survival instinct of competing nation-states would have to fight back or rebel against the Third Reich. No single nation could dominate the globe forever. The Fourth Reich, on the other hand, introduced and induced by the great reset of COVID totalitarianism, was the first form of fascism that was instantly global in nature. There was nowhere to escape its tentacles because the ideology of globalism has embedded the fascists as the ruling class in every Western and former now democracy. Although America is still the most influential player on the global scene, COVID fascism was not confined to any one country or even region of the world. Thus, one cannot count upon a country or group of countries rising up against it 
the way the United States neutralized the Third Reich during World War II. Second, the Fourth Reich is directed by the most dangerous mix of public-private partnerships. Thus, not only is it synchronized by global elites ruling every country, but by every global corporation working in tandem with every country's government to enforce the edicts of the Fourth Reich through censorship, discrimination, denial of basic services, and medical apartheid. We were unable to play the public sector off the private sector this time, or the private sector off the public sector, for they were the same sector. For example, private emails from June 2021 released via FOIA revealed that the CDC Foundation worked with Facebook, Merck, the WHO, and other pharma entities on, quote, an alliance for advancing health online, an initiative to control the narrative. So whether it's issue, the issue is off-label early treatments, vaccine safety and efficacy, science about asymptomatic transmission, or the threat of COVID to children, every morsel Every morsel of information propagated by the Department of Health and Human Services agencies is influenced and controlled by pharma and big tech to steer us to a specific outcome that will always benefit big pharma and big tech and the global regime. Leaked Department of Homeland Security documents in June of 2022 revealed how DHS officials set up meetings with Twitter executives to work on combating what they called disinformation. The Biden White House worked with the corporate world both on stifling dissent and on enforcing the COVID mandates upon the citizenry. Perchance, the danger of the Fourth Reich's public-private partnership is akin to a nuclear bomb to individual rights in the sense that government will chase you while their private partners will catch you fleeing the tyranny. No escape. Everything the government was restrained from doing in the past, thanks to constitutionally protected rights, the courts and politicians were able to assert were kosher for the private entities not to now do instead. But we all know that it wasn't a free and unfettered marketplace that was prompting these corporations to impose draconian mandates on the bodies of their workers. It was corporations and their incestuous relationship with the government. The public is therefore left with no options because they cannot challenge the incumbent private corporations in the marketplace, given the fact that governments grant them an inveterate monopoly through existing contracts, subsidies, and regulatory capture. Nor could they challenge the policies of the government through elections because they artfully vested most of that legal, economic, and logistical power to enforce their will upon civilization with the private sector. They did it with the private sector. Finally, there is the issue of technology, which again is aggravated by the, pre by the previous two factors undergirding the menace of this fourth Reich. Globalism and the privatization of government tyranny. The Third Reich did not have access to self-spreading vaccines, lipid nanoparticle technologies, mRNA technology, or any, other, any of the other digital tracking and tracing tools global governments have today to monitor every citizen. Their entire health care profile, compliance with unethical regime mandates, and their most intimate activities. C CDC documents that Vice obtained via FOIA show the CDC bought from a shady data company access to location data harvested from tens of millions of phones in the United States to perform analysis of compliance with the lockdowns. Specifically, the surveillance included neighbor-to-neighbor -neighbor visits and visits to churches, schools, and pharmacies. As, as, a, as an aside, though, if Dinesh D'Souza does this to show they stole an election, well, it's just not viable technology, of course. It's not reliable Back to the text. Given the extent of digital and nanotechnology, let your mind run wild as to the extent the government is monitoring and possibly controlling us without our consent. For example, World Economic Forum oligarchs have held forums discussing, quote, mind control using sound waves. Pfizer CEO Albert Bulla bragged in 2018 at the World Economic Forum about, quote, electronic pills. And the ability for insurance companies and presumably other elite actors to know which medicines you take and when you've been taking them. Quote, imagine the implications of that, the compliance, end quote, exclaimed Borla excitedly. Let us pause there before we get up against the first break. 
the first case we are making here in our opening statement is that the description of this regime as a Fourth Reich is justifiable. It is not ambiguous to rhetorical flourish. It is not an exaggeration. It's an application. That if such a thing as the Third Reich came upon us in the in the 2010s instead of the 1930s it would have used the technology and behaved exactly as this fourth reich has gentlemen do you think we made that case yeah and whether you set me up like that or not uh, i was gonna go there anyways i haven't dusted this one off in a while but you might recall i used to say the status quo is the status quo until it isn't anymore to the point very point steve is making he on this show used to explicitly say i am very loath to use nazi analogies he found them to be lazy and he was right most of the time people who don't have an argument uh, on both sides would uh, you're just a nazi but this as steve said is an application if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck it's a Nazi duck. Hey, as he says, he's laying out specific actions and abuses that are obviously an affront, at the very least, to the things this country is founded upon. At the very least, it's heretical to that. And yes, it is incumbent upon us to ask ourselves, it is even far worse than that because as he said this did not happen in some dark corner of the universe it happened in western civilization western europe in a country that was the vanguard of the arts the sciences uh music everything many of the things that were good true and beautiful and it nonetheless became that why can't it happen again there are people still alive who were part of that monstrosity we're not that far away from it ladies and gentlemen I think the more secular as a whole Western civilization has become, you look back and you see that the writing was on the wall for a long time. We've, we've said many times that COVID, this entire, this entire episode, down to the screaming Karen in the, uh, in the department store, at the grocery store, screaming at you to follow the, 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 the arrows on the floor that are saving lives, all the way there, all the way up to the very top. This was a harvest. This was a reaping of all of the seeds that have been sown. And Western civilization for the better part of the last generation and a half. But in God's grace, in God's grace, may, maybe there are still some who really can be awoken, who can be convinced that this is really happening right now. The best thing we can hope for right now is that you make that case because at that point it's up to them. Make the case, present the data, present the present the, the the facts of the matter, and then it's up to every person individually to decide: Am I willing to do what needs to be done? Am I willing to do what needs to be done? That's going to be the main question I think that I'm going to be asking, and that I'm going to be seeing, trying to deduce what other people are saying as well. If they're really, if they're really committed and understand. What needs to be done? I promise you what we are up against is really committed. I, I promise you they are very committed. And what we are going to find out here in the months, and if we're lucky, years to come, is how committed are we? Because I promise you, they and their master are very committed. When we come back, we'll pick up the opening statement where we left off and we'll introduce you to the term transhumanist. Next.
All right, let's resume. Uh, picking up where we left off here, I'm sharing with you today the opening argument that you can download for free right now uh, if you go to the website, Trials and Execution. Trials, plural, and execution, singular. Trialsandexecution.com. That's trialsandexecution.com. You can have this PDF yourself so that you can then share it with others if you would like. 82 footnotes just in the opening statement alone as we begin our trial of COVID stand and rise of the Fourth Reich. Let's continue. Klaus Schwab's top confidant, Israeli history professor Yuval Harari, explained exactly how COVID will allow them to groom the population into their transhumanist agenda. Quote, COVID is critical because this is what convinces people to accept to legitimize total biometric surveillance admitted Harare at the World Economic Forum without even a hint of shame. Quote, we need to not just monitor people, we need to monitor what's happening under their skin, unquote. If you don't think this is demonic, and you don't think this is spiritual, this is an Israeli, Israeli, this is an Israeli history professor Who's basically saying, you know what, man, the only thing the Nazis got wrong is that they just had the wrong tech. We can pull this whole thing off. Steve, why won't you give up this COVID thing? Exactly. At the 2020 World Economic Forum meeting, Harari made it clear that nothing short of godlike powers over human beings is the end goal of the self-appointed global ruling class. Quote, in the coming decades, artificial intelligence and biotechnology will give us godlike abilities to re-engineer life and even to create completely different new life forms. End quote. This is out of left this is stuff out of left behind books. In August of 2021, the World Economic Forum put out a dystopian video full of masked humans and QR codes titled Take a Peek at the Future, in which it showcased technology invented by NASA that can identify you by your heartbeat. Then after suggesting children permanently do schooling at home in front of a computer, the World Economic Forum asked, quote, what, pande- what pandemic era changes would you like to become permanent? Along with the dystopian transhumanist agenda, to use technology to control us will be the suspension of all freedoms. At the May 2022 Davos meeting, Australian e-safety commissioner Julie Inman Grant told the World Economic Forum that because of, quote, increasing polarization, a.k.a. dissent from the oligarchs, we need a recalibration of freedom of speech. During the 2016 meeting of the World Economic Forum, Ida Auken, a Danish member of parliament, opened her remarks by envisioning, quote, Welcome to 2030. I own nothing. I have no privacy. And life has never been better. End quote. These are echoes of the Orwellian slogan posted at the entrance of Auschwitz. Quote, Arbeit macht frei, which is German for work sets you free. Welcome to the Fourth Reich. Can you imagine if the Third Reich had access to this technology? Well, now that we know about it, we need an updated Nuremberg Code that matches the expansiveness of this technological threat of tyranny, along with the will of its practitioners to use it against our bodies with ironclad legal shackles of government restraint. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, we submit that what humanity endured during the era of COVID fascism was not a noble lie of exaggerations designed to get people to the proper state of alert, nor was it even governments caught flat-footed after being ambushed with a pandemic they didn't see coming. In this book, we intend to offer evidence and testimony that, at best, nefarious elements among societal elites salivated at the prospect of never letting a good crisis go to waste, and at worst, pre-planned this societal shift all along with COVID-19 simply serving as the MacGuffin of the nefarious plot. In March 2020, there was a new global disorder established, a great reset in the words of leading globalist Klaus Schwab that not only vitriated the ethos of the Nuremberg Code, designed to ensure that never again could humans be slaughtered like animals, but one that expanded upon the principles of the Third Reich. 
A global principle was established that a human being was simply walking in locomotion, living his life without any signs of disease, is a threat to another human being. Therefore, under this diabolical reset of the Nuremberg ethos, that individual must initiate a set of affirmative actions against his own body to protect others. And failure to do so means he forfeits his life, liberty, and property. Oh, and all standards of safety, efficacy, evidence, prudence, compassion, due process, scientific debate, dissenting opinions, and legal authority all go out the window when determining what those ever-changing actions are. Nothing that objectively determines what works and what doesn't, what is moral and what isn't, could possibly remain. The only standard would be a subjective one of no standard at all except to comply with the edicts or face public ostracization, loss of livelihood, and even denial of life-saving medical care. All things being equal, one could chalk up the triple access of evil, the lockdowns, masks, and shots, to ignorance, panic, and carelessness. However, there are two factors that demonstrate the global powers behind this travesty in government, and the medical-industrial complex acted with malfeasance and willful intent to destroy human life. Number one, the perpetuation of these policies long after they were incontestably proven anywhere from harmful to ineffective. They continued on nevertheless. And number two, the vicious and cruel denial of treatment options that could have saved millions of lives, options that were established as much safer and cheaper than the ones that were promoted and then mandated. These two factors will be explored thoroughly through the testimony of experts, witnesses, and victims of the COVID crimes throughout the chapters of this book. They will demonstrate conclusively that the culture of cruelty within the medical field and government was purposeful, planned, and has now become permanent, even after their colossal harms and counterproductive efficacy have been proven in plain sight. That absent an equal and opposing force of good, motivated by preservation of basic human rights and bodily freedoms, the COVID regime beginning in early 2020 will become the new normal in government, law, medicine, and science. With that in mind, let's confront the first factor demonstrating there is no innocent or benign explanation for the set of policies pursued by our government and the medical field. Namely, the duration and perpetuation of these human experimentations well beyond when any reasonable person would have otherwise aborted them. Even if one believes that locking people down, shuttering schools, and forcibly masking human breathing was a necessary evil, assuming the enforcers are not indeed evil themselves, they will eventually recognize that these policies are indeed a form of evil, even if they believe they are hopefully temporarily necessary. As such, even if they believed they had the moral and legal right to institute these policies initially, they would have enacted them in the least restrictive manner for the shortest period of time necessary and would have immediately rescinded them the minute there was a suspicion they were ineffective and or damaging. Instead, the leaders in politics and medicine doubled and tripled down on these demonic policies for months, now years, and in some realms, Years and on end to the very days that this book was now being written, this still continues. Long after it was clear that masks absolutely did not affect the epidemiological outcome of the virus in any part of the world, they continued to forcibly mask two-year-olds, deny medical care to people with disabilities who couldn't wear a mask, and prevent rape victims who, could have their, who couldn't have their mouths covered from living a normal life. Kids were forcibly masked for eight hours a day in most parts of the country for nearly two years, assuming they even had in-person learning for much of that time period. Nowhere is this malfeasance a long-term and inexcusable disregard for human rights, basic science, and same-risk-benefit analysis, along with a refusal to change course regardless of new information. Nowhere was this more evident than with the tragic human experiment of closing the schools. Like with all other policies, there was nothing immutable about the decision to close schools for months and years on end. It was a forgivable sin to shut down the schools for a week or two in the face of an immediate panic. But the facts were clear from nearly the first few weeks that children were not an elevated risk from this virus beyond typical risks they assume every day. 
After just a few weeks, it became incontrovertibly clear that the school closures had no bearings on the trajectory of the pandemic. Indeed, a calamitous mental health crisis and inhibited the learning development of a generation of civilization. Within the first month of the lockdowns, data from, the, uh, from Iceland, the UK, Australia, Switzerland, Canada, Netherlands, France, and Taiwan showed that children were responsible for little to none of the transmission to the adults. Already on May 2nd, 2020, the CDC posted in its COVID view summary, quote, for children zero to 17, COVID-19 hospitalization rates are much lower than influenza hospitalization rates during recent influenza seasons, end quote. That's May 2nd. CDC and state departments of health, along with all the state and federal election officials who went along with it, could have aborted this cruel experiment on children after only a month of the shutdown and could have avoided the calamitous long-term educational, social, mental, behavioral, and developmental damage we are now fully realizing. As the 10th precept of the Nuremberg Code states, during the course of the experiment, the scientist in charge must be prepared to terminate the experiment at any stage. If he has probable cause to believe that a continuation of the experiment is likely to result in injury, disability, or death to the experimental subject, end quote. Yet, they continued and continued and continued to shut down the schools. Each day, the CDC and various state health and education departments could have decided to do the right thing and follow the undeniable science and data on school closures and masking of children. Even as the suicides increased and the grades from Zoom school plummeted, they continued these policies without any evidence they served any purpose. These sorts of policies were akin to the most vicious form of chemotherapy, something you would administer only as a last-ditch effort in the most minimal dose, not as the first-choice effort indiscriminately without any precision whatsoever. At the bottom of this hour, we will be joined by Julie Kelly of American Greatness, but let's get back to it. Continuing on with the opening statement from our book, Rise of the Fourth Reich. Confronting COVID fascism with a new Nuremberg trial so this never happens again and again. You can download this for free at trialsandexecution.com. Trials, plural, execution, singular. Trialsandexecution.com is where you can download the PDF of this for free. These were not wartime decisions where a military or political leader is often forced to make one sudden immutable decision that could determine who lives and who dies instantly. Every day they could have opened their eyes to what was before them and realized that school closures, small business closures, while the big retailers were left open, of course, masking and endless testing and spying, otherwise known as contact tracing, violated human rights without any appreciable benefit, but did come with copious personal and societal side effects. Unlike in war, this was not a zero-sum game beyond each day's decision. We could have mitigated the harm done one, one day earlier by choosing to do the right thing the following day. We didn't have to keep doing this stuff. After the initial two weeks to flatten the curve, we had ample evidence that even the most favorable risk-benefit analysis of these policies revealed them as a net liability on humanity unquestionably as they related to children who always had the most to lose and the least to gain from this new normal. Had we frozen those policies in April 2020, the harm from just two weeks would have been minimal. Instead, we continued them for two years in many parts of the country, and the masking never stopped in some places. In fact, the policies failed so miserably that the more we enacted them, the more the virus got worse, which would have been an obvious sign that the express need to perpetuate these policies beyond those first few weeks bore witness to the circuitous, convoluted, and even evil logic of continuing them. But the pleas for public debate fell on deaf ears for weeks, then months, and in many parts of the country and the world for years and until this very day. Then there were the COVID shots, originally advertised as just safe and effective as traditional vaccines, albeit with a quicker timeline that will accelerate the future of vaccine development. 
We intend to bring expert testimony attesting to the fact that the key players in government and Big Pharma knew about the risks of these shots from day one. But just like with school closures, each day was a new decision point. They could have administered them with proper informed consent and only to the people who absolutely needed them. Then they could have pulled them from the market as soon as they realized that the shots did not stay in the shoulder muscle while creating an increasing litany of inflammatory maladies throughout the body, including permanent disability and death. Yet the more the evidence showed the shots were dangerous and ineffective and then eventually made it more likely you would get the virus, the more they not only doubled down on the shots, but then began mandating them on every human being alive, regardless of age, risk factors, and whether one already had natural immunity, which was about half the population at the time. We know, based on a court-released document that as early as February 28, 2021, which was before more, most people even got their first dose, especially those under 60, there were enough problems with these shots pursuant to the Nuremberg Code that they should have been removed from the market. Instead, they were mandated and expanded to younger people and those with natural immunity. We typically pull a product off the market after a few dozen suspected deaths. The swine flu vaccine in 1976 was pulled from the market after only a few dozen deaths and was halted in nine states after just three reported deaths in Pittsburgh. Yet Pfizer disclosed to the FDA at the time, but unbeknownst to the public, the existence of 42,086 Adverse event case reports containing 158,893 total events, including 1,227 deaths. 25,957 of the events were classified as, quote, nervous system disorders. During the 1976 rollout of the swine flu vaccine, there were a mere 362 cases of GBS, a condition in which the immune system attacks the nerves and causes forms of paralysis, reported before it was pulled from the market, just 362. As of May 20th, 2022, there were a thousand cases of GBS 15,568 cases of Bell's palsy, both reported to VAERS from the COVID shots. In the document that Pfizer and the FDA wanted to conceal for 75 years, Pfizer reveals that, quote, due to the large number of spontaneous adverse event reports, staff were forced to prioritize the processing of serious adverse events, and the company had to hire large numbers of staff to handle all the adverse side effects. Quote, to date, Pfizer has onboarded approximately 600 additional full-time employees, reveals Pfizer on page six of the confidential document. More are are joining each month with an expected total of more than 1,800 additional resources by the end of June 2021. They were already arming up for serious adverse effects before most of you even had a jab. Furthermore, Pfizer details nine pages of several thousand known categories of adverse effects, which reveals the massive scope of injuries that were being reported to Pfizer. Pfizer knew that these were just the self-reported and immediate effects for a vaccine that had undergone absolutely no long-term safety studies and for which all of the control groups were unblinded and vaccinated. That means they didn't have any control groups. Pfizer and the FDA had access to this information and never released it to the public at the time, but nevertheless pushed the vaccine on the public in the biggest mass vaccination campaign of all time. This included the eventual success in jabbing children and babies with the old failed sequence of the shot, even as the virus had already mutated multiple times. Then there is Pfizer's own all-cause mortality data from very early on in the process. Amid all the studies thrown around the debate's table, there is nothing so revealing as the all-cause mortality rates of those in the actual clinical trials after a few months, the trial arm compared with the placebo. Such a measure will factor in COVID deaths, natural deaths, and vaccine-related deaths. In Pfizer's very own biologics license application, that was used by the FDA to grant it full licensure, Pfizer reveals, quote, from dose one started on July 27th, 2020 through March 13th, 2021, data cutoff date, there were a total of 38 deaths, 21 in the vaccine group, 17 
in the placebo group. End quote. Say again. Pfizer knew from early on before the children were jabbed that there were more all-cause deaths in the trial group? In the adult trial? How can that be? Pfizer claims without evidence that, quote, none of the deaths were considered related to vaccination. But if the vaccines were so effective, how could we see negative efficacy in the measure of all-cause mortality? Yet, pursuant to that very document, the FDA granted Pfizer full licensure, which greased the skids for the military mandate. And of course, it was of a product that they don't sell in the United States and will never sell. From day one, it was clear that after subjecting people to so much known and unknown short-term and long-term risk of severe adverse events, there was no all-cause mortality benefit and very likely a detriment. What about the claimed benefits against hospitalizations? An analysis of Pfizer's and Moderna's own clinical trial participants, co-authored by Dr. Peter Doshi, editor of the world-renowned British Medical Journal, found clearly that the trial participants were more likely to be hospitalized from adverse events from both Pfizer and Moderna shots than receive a benefit from a reduced COVID hospitalization from the shot. Specifically, Dr. Doshi and his colleagues found that the Pfizer shot was associated with an increased risk of serious adverse events of special interests unrelated to COVID of 10.1 events per 10,000 vaccinated for Pfizer and 15.1 per 10,000 for Moderna. In absolute terms, they did find a small benefit in reduced COVID hospitalizations, but when weighed against the risk of hospitalization from vaccine injury, there was a net increase in serious adverse events of 7.8 per 10,000 vaccinated with Pfizer and 8.7 per 10,000 vaccinated with Moderna over the supposed protection against COVID hospitalizations. Thus, from early on, before they jabbed most of the public, the manufacturers and the regulators knew that the shots were more harm than good. And this was for the original strain when there was slight efficacy, but very few people were vaccinated when the Wuhan strain was still circulating. They continued to push the shots for the new strains and introduce them to children and eventually babies long after we saw not just a net liability, but an absolute liability because there's no discernible efficacy and growing evidence of negative efficacy against new COVID strains. Accordingly, all along, as they were spending more money, time, effort, government control and public shaming to promote these shots, they knew they were violating the sixth precept of the Nuremberg Code, quote, the degree of risk to be taken should never exceed that determined by the humanitarian importance of the problem to be solved by the experiment, end quote. Fast forward to early September 2021, and we already knew from weekly UK COVID case data that the vaccine had negative efficacy. Furthermore, there were already a thousand deaths and hundreds of thousands of injuries reported at VAERS at that time. Not only did the FDA decline to pull the shots off the market, but our government did three things in late summer 2021 instead. Number one, issued full licensure to the Pfizer shot, which is still not available for use here in the U.S. at the time this book was being written. Number two, approved Pfizer booster shots, which is itself evidence of the waning efficacy of the original ones. And number three, accelerated federal and state mandates on a good chunk of the American public, especially federal workers, healthcare staff, and the military. And they did so knowing full well that the shot not only came with an escalating number of potential side effects, but it was concocted for a version of the virus that had no longer been in circulation for months. In doing so, the FDA acknowledged that despite months of safety problems with myocarditis, there was also a huge unknown risk of subclinical myocarditis, which was likely much more widespread. In the Pharmacovigilance Plan Review Addendum, the FDA conceded, quote, Incidents of subclinical myocarditis and potential long-term sequelae following the vaccine are unknown. Wouldn't you want to know that? However, it did note that a previous study on a smallpox, smallpox vaccine, quote, suggested an incidence of possible subclinical myocarditis 60 times higher than the incidence rates of overt clinical myocarditis. That would bring up the one in a thousand rate among young males 
that Pfizer acknowledged to as high as 1 in 17 for subclinical cardiac ticking time bombs. When we wrote this, we, we, we submitted this manuscript on July 15th, almost a full month before the Thai, Thailand study came out that showed 18% of teenagers they gave a full dose of the Pfizer vaccine to, shortly thereafter exhibited abnormal EKGs. That's what this is talking about. The FDA reviewers flatly stated, quote, based on a review of available data, there are known risks for myocarditis and pericarditis and an unexpected serious risk for subclinical myocarditis, which warrant PMR safety studies to assess these serious risks, end quote. They called on Pfizer-BioNTech to conduct studies, but noted that the sponsor rebuffed them. In other words, we don't regulate Pfizer. Pfizer regulates us while enjoying free taxpayer funding, marketing, distribution, mandating, and complete immunity from all liability. Seven and a half months after Pfizer's full approval, we still have no studies on subclinical myocarditis, and they aren't due to be completed until one year from now, July of 2023. Jab first, study the effects later, became the modus operandi, the starkest violation of the Nuremberg Code imaginable. As late as January 25th, 2022, CDC researchers published a paper in the Journal of the American Medical Association asserting their belief that the tens of thousands of myocarditis reports to VAERS were, quote, likely underreported. And yet, they still did not change their own policies. Instead, the FDA went on to approve the shots for even younger cohorts of younger children including third doses in the ensuing months. At best, this isn't science whatsoever, but cognitive dissonance. At worst, this is the island of Dr. Moreau. And again, the Biden administration pushed, on, pushed it on every population, despite the risk status or prior immunity, and despite the negative efficacy and the fact that the vaccine was for an obsolete strain of the virus. There is no benign or innocent explanation for any of this. Let's continue on. Nowhere was the Third Reich era ethos of jab first and study consequences later more evident than with the push to pressure and in some circumstances mandate the shots upon pregnant women. In medicine, we are so careful never to give any substance to pregnant women that has not affirmatively been proven safe with numerous long-term studies that, discreet, that, that directly examined its effects on pregnant and nursing women. Nevertheless, a copy of the Pfizer trial informed consent document made public through the FOIA lawsuits from the Informed Consent Action Network stated unambiguously, quote, the effects of the COVID-19 vaccine on sperm, a pregnancy, a fetus, or a nursing child are not known. They admit this. Nonetheless, this shot was pushed upon pregnant and nursing women and women of childbearing age without informed consent to the public, regardless of their risk level or immunity status. This was particularly true for those in the military and healthcare field. Shockingly, this novel gene therapy, after the manufacturers and the FDA already knew of countless safety signals concerning hundreds of maladies, was pushed upon pregnant women even after all the safety signals were blaring red, even after the FBA, FDA knew of pro-inflammatory lipid nanoparticles that were deposited to a large degree in the ovaries from the shots. Already, a 2018, already in 2018, this is key, a study published in the International Journal of Nanomedicine showed that nanoparticles can, quote, detrimentally affect the reproductive systems of mice in vivo and in vitro. At the cellular level, nanoparticles can induce infertility, by altering the activity, morphology, quality, and quantity of sperm. That's from 2018. Remember the studies we gave you about the low sperm counts, the low sperm motility at the sperm donor clinic? The data that came out from the study just a few weeks ago, 42% of women jabbed experiencing menstrual irregularities. They knew about this from 2018. It was in their own journals. In the FDA's summary basis for regulatory action, published nearly a year after the shot had already been administered, and in some cases mandated upon pregnant women. 
The drug regulator stated plainly that proper information for use for pregnant and nursing women was missing. Missing information, use in pregnancy and lactation, vaccine effectiveness, use in pediatric individuals greater than 12 years is missing. The FDA divulged. Indeed, the label states unmistakably that, quote, available data administered to pregnant women are insufficient to inform vaccine-associated risks in pregnancy, unquote. However, this informed consent written in fine print was never divulged to patients by the government, media, and most doctors. In fact, they lied and asserted conclusively that it was safe. In the ultimate violation of medical ethics, it was quite commonplace for OBGYNs to expel women from their practice if they declined the shot. They did all this months after seeing many VAERS reports of adverse reproductive issues. As of early May 2022, there were already 4,690 miscarriages reported to VAERS, 10,575 instances of vaginal, vaginal uterine hemorrhaging, and ubiquitous reports of menstrual irregularities. In fact, menstrual irregularities were so common that a University of Chicago survey sought to recruit 500 women with menstrual irregularities in order to study the cause and effect. And instead, researchers received 140,000 submissions. One pre-printed study found that 42% of women experienced heavier bleeding, while only 44% reported no changes to their menstrual cycles at all. A mind-boggling 66% of postmenopausal women experience breakthrough bleeding sometime after receiving the shots. Then there is the issue of fertility among men, which will obviously take longer to detect. The lipid nanoparticles deposit in large quantities in the testes, just like they do in the ovaries. In the same week that the FDA approved the COVID shots on babies and toddlers in June of 2022, an Israeli study of sperm donors published in Andrology found a 15.4% decrease in sperm concentration between two and five months after donors got the shots. Considering the shots lose their efficacy after five to six months by even the most optimistic data out there, that begs the question of what the routine and frequent booster shots the elites are demanding due to the male reproductive system long term. That is a question the study did not explore. Furthermore, total modal count, which represents the number of sperm sample, number of sperm in a sample of ejaculated semen, decreased 22% from pre-vaccine baseline and barely recovered after five months. In other words, when the shots wear off. None of this was even discussed during the barbaric approval of vaccines on children, even though this study was the first of its kind on this question of vital importance to all of humanity. I'm going to stop there. You guys won't believe this, folks. I'm only halfway through this opening statement. A little more than halfway. You can download the entire thing yourself. 80 footnotes. We bring receipts. It's me and Daniel Horowitz, for goodness sakes. Come at us. We've got the goods. We're here at high noon for the showdown. We dare you to show. We dare you. Make everyone in the town, everyone assemble. Bring your Goliath. We have more than a few five smooth stones. We have 400 pages of them. We dare you. Take us on. We wrote this for this confrontation. We want it. But we don't think you do. And that's why you lie and you censor. You can download this entirely right now. Trialsandexecution.com That's trialsandexecution.com Let's welcome in friend of the program, Julie Kelly from American Greatness. Julie, it's good to see you again. It's been a while. How are you? Good. How are you guys? Uh, we are doing good. I want to. I wanted to get the latest here. We have a short week this week, folks. I forgot to tell you, I'm taking a personal day tomorrow, and so I wanted to make sure we got an update on this before we headed out here this week, because no one has done better work on what's going on with the January 6th political prisoners, and now 
uh, false flag events from uh, Ray, you know, from Ray Epstein to the Whitmer kidnapping uh, than you have done, Julie. So let's actually start there because there's new legal proceedings, right, with the Whitmer case. What's the latest on this after the astounding verdict? Was that earlier this year, I believe, uh, that the original defense were originally found not guilty, right? So what's what's the latest in this case now? So there were six men who were charged in the Whitmer Fed napping plot. Two men ended up pleading guilty after basically being threatened by DOJ. Um, and two men were, <clears throat> were acquitted by a Michigan jury in April. Um, two men received a hung jury. This was a, a stunning and rare, massive defeat for DOJ, who then promptly turned around and uh, declared that they were going to retry the two men uh, that the jury could not reach a verdict on. That trial started on Tuesday in Western Michigan. I cannot imagine that the prosecutors are very happy with the political environment right now. This is deep, as you know, Steve, this is deep Trump country in Western Michigan, not Mm -hmm. far from where I live either. Um, And so this FBI raid that happened on Monday, the news on Monday night, the next day, uh, they start jury selection. And there was quite a bit of anti-government sentiment as the judge was trying to figure out who could serve on this jury and who couldn't. And so the FBI basically is on trial again. And in April, the jury basically uh, decided that the FBI was guilty of this entrapment scheme. So the timing for prosecutors is not great, but it is a reminder, Steve, of what this FBI is capable of doing to destroy lives, interfere in a presidential election, which this did in 2020. Um, and destroy the lives of Americans for headlines and to support their narratives about domestic terrorists. Julie, remind us about a, a couple of the, the, the headli- headlines that came out of that acquittal and hung jury trial and, and some of the things that were revealed that led to, uh, to those jury decisions. So first of all, most importantly, the man who was in charge of the Michigan FBI field office, Stephen DeAntuono, a week after the arrests were announced in October of 2020, was promoted by Christopher Wray to take over the plum assignment of being in charge of the Washington field office. So he is the man who was in charge of the key FBI uh, office during January 6th. He is now responsible for prosecuting 850 plus Americans on criminal charges for January 6th. Of course, he, it was his office who went to Reagan National and arrested Peter Navarro in June. And it's his office who also had agents at the raid at Mar-a-Lago. So that's the biggest tie between what's happening now and the Whitmer case. But what we know now is there were at least a dozen undercover agents and FBI informants working out of multiple field offices across the eastern part of the country. It required the approval, according to one agent, FBI agent testifying, it required the approval at the highest level, not just of FBI, but DOJ, hello, William Barr. And, um, but it was completely concocted. This main informant and his two FBI handlers working out of the DC, uh, at the Detroit field office for Stephen DeAntuono, what he was running, um, they ran all of these informants. And this key informant put all of these people together based on random social media posts. They organized and paid for surveillance trips to Whitmer's cottage, uh, who she also knew about this, of course, to her cottage field training exercises where this these informants collected over a thousand hours of recordings of these men stitched together little clips that they're playing in trial. Um, and so we'll see what happens. I can't imagine the government's going to have any more success in this retrial than they did in April. Hmm. This is an era in, in previous mm-hmm. eras of America. If if you were a magistrate judge or any public official and you were found to be legal counsel to a fiend at the level of a Jeffrey Epstein Mm -hmm. you would actually probably have to get like restraining orders you'd have to move you 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 would you would you would fear that the, the the public would overreact to that association and not give you the benefit of the doubt I mean that that you know that that would have been what previous eras of America would have struggled with the temptation to just not completely go overboard and say, hey, let's bring out the posse against everybody that ever, you know, had a had a 
um, you know, a cup of coffee with Jeffrey Epstein and hold them accountable since we can't do it to him. Right. That's how previous eras would have behaved. And we would have had to hold them back and say, no, everybody gets a trial. We're not vigilantes. Right. In this era of America, if you are Jeffrey Epstein's counsel, you get to shamelessly remain a magistrate judge, which means you're not under any Senate confirmation process. And then also get to sign off on the nighttime raid of your political opposition that you were negatively um, crap posting about on social media at the exact same time. And yet, people like you and me will do interviews with media asking, why are you so cynical and have dangerously lost faith in all these institutions and steering the, your audiences to insurrection, right? Well, let's add to what you're talking about, uh, the judge in this case. Now he is a victim. He is a victim of mean MAGA people who swarmed, I guess, his official page and wanted to call his office or email him to express their outrage about what happened. The media now is just is portraying him as a victim. Um, and yet, and now the FBI is trying to change the subject today. Christopher Ray comes out, not by coincidence, calls these alleged threats against his agents now deplorable. And now there's some alleged uh, attack at the Cincinnati FBI field office. You know, no one, or at least half the country, does not trust this FBI. They don't trust anything that Christopher Ray says. And it's actually very dangerous territory um, because this has serious repercussions for keeping our country safe. And you have the top law enforcement agency in the nation, most powerful one in the world, really, uh, that is now not trusted but openly mocked, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you have people on social media now. You're not even, they're not even afraid. They're openly mocking this agency. Um, it really speaks to a dangerous path because we need to trust these agents and this agency to do what's right to keep the country safe. And that's simply not what they're doing. Because they don't they try are. to earn our trust. Yeah, I don't think I don't. Th in fact, I I think they actually don't want it. I, I think that the, this is this is a nihilistic, demonic agenda to try and trigger our people into acting out in ways so they can justify China levels of crushing them in the streets. I think they are purposefully removing any sense of hope or unity uh, within the social compact whatsoever uh, in order to draw our people out to act out so that they can treat them the way that they truly want to. That's what I think. I think that is a spot on analysis. I think that was why they helped organize and orchestrate the events of January 6th to do the very same thing. And so that's exactly where they're headed with this. I mean, if they could round us all up, you know, you had FBI agents issuing subpoenas in Pennsylvania, state lawmakers. Um, they don't care whoever their enemies are, and they're doing it flagrantly, to your point, Steve. Mm -hmm. They're not trying to hide this. The idea that Donald Trump was responsible for talking about the raid that happened at Mar-a-Lago, of course they knew that this would be news. I mean, so um, they're doing it, they're shoving it right in our face, and now they are saying any criticism of the FBI or DOJ, uh, now we're related, we're going to be domestic terrorists. Um, it, this is what we saw in the Whitmer case, this is what we see in January 6th, and now we see it with this raid. And the FBI has the benefit of a craven, clueless Republican leadership in Washington, D.C. that has no plan what they're going to do with this crisis of trust, except for send some mean letters and post some threatening tweets on uh, social media. Mm. You believe ultimately they are going to arrest and indict Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. Explain. I think this was part of the raid is to create these optics to justify or try to publicly justify when they do bring criminal charges against Donald Trump. And so this will sort of feed into a narrative that they found something there that's incriminating. Um, and but look, aside from that, we know that DOJ is building a case against Donald Trump. They've spoken. A grand jury has heard from Pat Cipollini. A grand jury has heard from Mark Short. Um, they've made no secret of the fact that they're trying to build a case, I believe, either obstruction of an official proceeding or conspiracy or both. I think what happened Monday is trying to justify what Liz Cheney keeps hinting about and that sort of some kind of tampering with evidence. If they found one document 
related to election fraud, election investigation, or the planning of January 6th. The committee is going to say that Donald Trump is interfering in their investigation. He was tampering with evidence. They'll send their criminal referral to DOJ. DOJ is working on a separate path, I believe, to indict him on uh, what I said, those two charges, conspiracy or obstruction of an official proceeding before the election. To your point, Steve, they want chaos. Mm -hmm. They need chaos. They need to demonize the side to scare people out of voting in November. Well, and they and they operate, the social compact is broken. So they, they're not self-restrained at all. They, they operate on, we're just going to do what we want and see if you come up with somebody, it'll stop us. We, can you get it, the Supreme Court to stop us? Will the governor not do it? And so they just, you know, get him to, some federal court that's in their favor. He's disqualified, can't be on the ballot. That's our reading of the Constitution as an indicted individual. And then it's just a matter of whether, you know, the Supreme Court steps in and stops it or not. Or they just time it out anticipating, because I do think the Supreme Court would stop it, actually. But they just time it out long enough so that he can't get on the ballot during these primaries to accumulate enough delegates to be on to win a no, to win the nomination. There's lots of different ways they can play this, or 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 the Supreme Court takes it on emergency cert right away and 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 crushes it. But then they just run run against him on he's the only indicted candidate person ever running for the presidency and just run that in all their ads, uh, you know. So Karen and her coexist uh, bumper stickers on the Subaru in the cul-de-sacs come out and vote again against mean tweets. That, that's the that's the way these that's the level of operation we're talking about here. And to your point, Steve, this DOJ has no oversight by the D.C. District Court or the D.C. Circuit Court. The D.C. District Court is a rubber stamp for this DOJ. So you are going to have Matthew Graves, the D.C. U.S. attorney who's in charge of this prosecution, going before a grand jury made up of residents of a town that voted 93% for Joe Biden. They have signed off on ridiculous indictments related to January 6th. Um, So you're going to have that grand jury indictment. All of this will go before judges on the D.C. District Court who are rubber stamps, whether they're Trump appointees. And then he'll go if he ever goes to trial. They won't move his trial because they've denied every change of venue motion related to January 6th trials. DOJ is undefeated in jury trials in Washington, D.C. for January 6th. So he'll go before a D.C. jury who will be chomping. They will feel like American heroes sitting on a jury. Absolutely. The opportunity to convict Donald Trump. Completely agree. Julie, how can people follow your phenomenal work? Thank you. Uh, American Greatness, amgreatness.com. My book, January 6th, is available on Amazon. Um, I'm on Twitter, Julie underscore Kelly, too, and on True Social, Julie underscore Kelly. It really is phenomenal work. Keep it up. All right, always good to see you. Thank you. To my friend, thanks. You bet. Uh, Trials and execution, trials, plural, execution, singular. Trialsandexecution.com is where you can go to download the rest of that opening statement. Just scroll down to the bottom, enter your email, we'll send it directly to you. All right, at trialsandexecution.com. Have a great weekend. We'll see you again on Monday. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.